0: Hi, I'm Dr. Barbara Byers, and I'm back with part two of When Suffering Comes Knocking. Last time in part one, I talked about how suffering gives meaning to who we are and how suffering enlarges our capacity. And now I'm gonna add uh, two more benefits of suffering to that. The first is, in suffering, we can extract what is precious. Within our sufferings, there is treasure like a pearl within an oyster, but we have to see it, we have to look for it and search for it to find it, to uncover it. Uh, Isaiah 45 3 holds a beautiful promise for us I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord God of Israel, who calls you by your name. So within our wounds, in the secret places of our pain and our trauma and our suffering, there is a a pearl or pearls. One of them is that we're going to hear God call us by our name. Isn't that beautiful? But we have to search for it. Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet who suffered greatly. He he went through all sorts of crazy things and he was deeply wounded. And at one point he asked the Lord some questions in Jeremiah 15, starting in verse 18, he says, "'Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed?' And then he goes on Uh, to castigate God a bit. And he says, why have you been to me like a deceptive stream, like unreliable waters? There is a kind of pain we can go through like Jeremiah and we can start believing the two lies he believed. One is my pain's perpetual. It's never going away. It's always here. It'll always be here. And that uh, that it's incurable. It's never going to change. It's never going to be healed. And so Jeremiah was getting bogged down in self-pity and and hopelessness. And if we're going to suffer well, we're going to have to deal with those two things. The second thing is that he said, God, you know, I think you're deceptive. I think you're unreliable. You've allowed me to suffer. You know, why does this sort of thing happen if God is really good? That's a question Uh, that you hear a lot. And when we spiral down into these two lies, they really keep us locked into our pains and our wound and unable to access and extract the precious things. So it's interesting how God responded to Jeremiah because he didn't answer his question directly. So in the next verse, verse 19, he says, if you return, then I'll restore you. So Jeremiah, if you come back to what's true, to what's in the light, to my goodness, then you're gonna see my redemption. Before me you will stand, and if you extract the precious from the worthless, you'll become my spokesman. So that's what was gonna qualify Jeremiah. You know, reach in to that darkness, reach into that deep place and extract what is precious. And um, he wanted Jeremiah to remember his sufferings, and to extract something of meaning from that when it all seemed worthless to him. And you know, sometimes it can. It can just seem like we're in a a time or a place where this is useless, what is this for? It, it, It feels so unfair, but we have to remember our perspective is very limited. We're seeing in the short term sometimes. And our ways aren't God's ways, and We have to be willing to wait for his purposes to be shown and fulfilled. And we're going to see he does all things well. So when we look at the pain of the past, we don't just have to, you know, release it out there into the universe somehow uh, to be forgotten. God always knows. He always remembers. And our past, our pain and our current suffering is always safe with him. We never have to say that the suffering was okay. No, if it was painful, it was painful. And in fact, we must name it, we must grieve it, we must process it so it doesn't get stuck in us. We have to cry our tears, we have to cry them out. And the other thing is we don't have to forget. It's just that when we remember we remember redemptively and we find meaning in it. So just consider for a minute the life of Joseph. Uh, I mean, we see Joseph elevated to a place of freedom. He was second in command in the land. He ended up really saving his people from starvation. He reframed and redeemed his suffering. But imagine how powerless he felt in prison yet he kept trusting, he kept waiting, he kept looking for a way out, and God made that for him. He uh, refused to be a victim, and he came out a victor, and in fact, it was his sufferings that became the source of his power, and so with us. The last thing I want to say about suffering is that we it, that our suffering needs to include this redemptive remembering. I'm kind of overlapping two things here. There is a biblical precedence for remembering. Many times in the Old Testament, God tells them, remember. He tells them sometimes, set up stones of remembrance. When they're leaving Egypt in Deuteronomy, he says, remember Egypt. And then he says, remember how I led you out. So Uh, there is a remembering that has to take place, and we just can't bypass our sufferings. We can't, sometimes we just aren't going to praise our way out of them, and, uh, you know, just, oh, that's all right, i forgive it, it doesn't matter. It matters a great deal, because God wants to bring good out of it, and in fact, Matthew 5.14 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we have to be honest with God, and a great way to do that is by spiritual, private spiritual journaling, where you just, you know, gut level honest, pour your heart out before the Lord. This gives dignity to our souls and, and to our emotions. We acknowledge our emotions. Now, we don't let them dominate, but we acknowledge what we're going through. And um, when we get the emotion out, then we can be quiet, we can wait, we can listen to what the Lord is saying to us because he has answers and he wants our questions. He wants us to pour them all out. We're making room for him to come and speak to us and we're not avoiding our sadness and we're not avoiding the Lord by doing that. Lewis Meads wrote, there is a healing way to remember the wrongs of our irreversible past a way that can bring hope for the future along with our sorrow. Redemptive remembering keeps a clear picture of the past, like I said, but it adds a new setting and it shifts its focus. Uh, Dr. Sitzer, who, who went through great tragedy, also wrote, our memory of the past is not neutral. It can poison us or it can heal us. Depending on how we remember it, Now his wife, his mother-in-law, and his youngest daughter were killed by a drunk driver. And this is the man writing this. It can poison us or it can heal us. Remembering the wrong done can make us a prisoner to pain and hatred, or it can make us the recipient of the grace, love, and healing power of God. So redemptive remembering requires trust. This is a practice of our faith to remember, to choose, to remember our story and look back on it and believe God is fitting it into his greater purposes, that he is able to redeem it. It's our choice to believe Romans 8, 28, that to those who love him and trust him, that he works all things, all, together for good, that it's part of our destiny and really our transformation, and this shifts our focus when we're willing to do that. So in redemptive remembering, we are reframing our sufferings. So Trent wrote, what we do with the pictures in our hands is up to us. To bring life or death to those pictures is up to us, to bring light or darkness, blessing or curse. We can do with the pictures what we please. We can keep them boxed away in the attic, or we can take them down and try to see the story the pictures tell us. We can curse the past like victims of circumstance, or we can bless it like victors over circumstances. It's up to us. It's our choice. So when we look at the Bible, it tells us some real stories of real people and it doesn't stint on some of their blunders and grievous sins even, and yet it's so redemptive. Abraham is called the friend of God. Moses is called, I'm sorry, Moses is called the friend of God. Abraham is called a man of faith. David is a lover of God. Paul becomes a chief apostle, so there's all this redemption in their suffering and even in the suffering that's caused by their own sin. So redemptive um, suffering has to do with telling our story as it was and as it is and really editing a bit at a time as God shows us the truth. Rather than telling it in reaction to it, we tell it in a way that has meaning. It's It's like taking a picture that's in a frame getting rid of the old frame, finding a new beautiful frame, taking that picture, maybe cropping it, maybe recentering it, but you're seeing it differently and you're framing it differently. And the good news is we have God's presence and grace and truth to help us reframe that, to let go of the pain of the past and to make meaning, to let go of entitlement and self-pity and defensiveness because the Holy Spirit is our comforter and he is our truth. And now we have that internal resource, the presence of God himself, that we can res- uh, respond to things differently and see from a different perspective. And sometimes when, we, when we're in a time when we just think it, you know, gosh, this just doesn't seem to have any purpose. And, um, you know, what is happening here and why am I suffering like this? If in that place we will begin to trust Him, we will begin to declare His goodness, declare His faithfulness, when we're finished with that season of time, however long it is, then what we're going to find is it was infused with His presence rather than our disappointment. And we have wisdom and comfort to give to others. So when we refuse to move away and avoid our suffering, we're giving God place for transformation. But if we flee, if we remove ourselves from it, we're going to cheat ourselves of grace and wisdom. And you know, right at the end of Ephesians 6, when he talks about putting on the whole armor, he says, having done all, stand. So, what we want to do is we want to stand and we want to keep standing, even in our suffering. And God gives us grace to do that. So last time I talked about offering our sufferings to the Lord, and I just wanna reemphasize that, that what we do is, if we're currently in suffering, we offer them to the Lord. If the suffering was of the past, we offer that to the Lord. And as we offer that to the Lord, He enters into that with us and carries that with us. He does the heavy lifting, as a friend of mine says. And I want, as you think about doing that, I want you to also think about this beautiful promise from James 1.12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I want that crown of life that God has promised. I want to persevere with him. And he gives us the grace to do that, even when we don't understand. So I would like to close with just part of a poem. This is um, a book called To Bless the Space Between Us by John, Donahue, John O'Donohue. He's an Irish poet. Uh, he wrote a poem called For Suffering. And this is just a little piece of it. May a window of light always surprise you. He's talking about in the midst of suffering. May a window of light always surprise you. May you be granted the wisdom to avoid false resistance. When suffering knocks on the door of your life, may you glimpse its eventual gifts. May you be able to receive the fruits of suffering. May it be a gift to you. Thank you for listening to these two parts about suffering, and I hope you'll come back next time.